Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. If you're eating the rice last, you actually are better off from an incretin point of view and a glycemic point of view. And that's why dessert is always last. You know, your, mm. your grandmother was right. You eat the dessert last. You, you actually want to do that. There are reasons, physiologic reasons to do that. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather weigh less and move more, um, you know, than just like be 500 pounds and like take 100 steps a day or something like that and burn the same amount of energy. Uh, we've always used technology to hunt. We've always used technology to create food. We've always used technology to prepare food. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, NU Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Hey listeners, Dr. Ted Naiman is here to simplify things for you. How does that sound? A simple, powerful message to help you drop excess body fat, optimize your diet, and optimize your exercise program for the most time-efficient, maximum results possible. And you're going to love this unique message, which I think uh, rises above and overarches many of the popular dietary practices that we have today. Uh, his book is called The P-E Ratio to Diet. That stands for Protein to Energy Ratio. And he believes that this is the secret 
to optimizing your caloric intake to drop excess body fat, build or maintain lean muscle mass. It's all about satiety per calorie. And protein, of course, is our number one dietary need for survival, the building blocks of life. And the problem with the modern diet is that there are a ton of foods that are low in protein, hyper palatable, heavily processed, and we eat so many of those possibly because deep down we're trying to satisfy our cravings, our survival cravings for protein. So he's going to get into the concept of protein to energy ratio and also pair that in the latter half of the show with a great exercise uh, strategy, which entails pushing yourself to absolute maximum failure in a very short duration effort uh, to get the most bang for your buck in a minimal amount of time. Really intriguing proposition where you can get a lot done, put your body under maximum resistance load, your cardiovascular system and or your muscles in sets lasting only seconds, total workout duration lasting only minutes. You can make incredible fitness progress. And of course, this goes hand in hand with your efforts to optimize your diet and drop excess body fat. And the cool thing about Dr. Ted is he is a very busy family practice physician in the Seattle area. So he walks his talk. He's an extremely fit guy. You can follow him on social accounts to learn more. But he's also dealing with everyday real people that want simple solutions, not too complex, not too controversial. And so his message is really well received. I think you're going to enjoy this wonderful show with Dr. Ted Naiman, co-author of The PE Diet, along with former podcast guest William Schufelt. Both these guys extremely impressive fitness specimens, so you know they're doing something right. And here we go with Dr. Ted. Dr. Ted Naiman, I'm so glad to catch up with you. You are, you're living the dream, man. You're the real deal. You're, you're, um, you're healthy, you're fit. And especially interesting is how you're uh, dealing with real people rather than just philosophy and sitting back and, um, you know, suggesting this or that. You've had a ton of people coming through your office. So maybe you should just give us a little intro about your, your practice and then we'll get and get into the PE ratio. We're going to get into the um, the proper way to pursue fitness goals for best results and all that great stuff. Awesome, cool. Thanks a lot, man. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm just a I'm a primary care doctor, and I'm down in the trenches. I'm on the front line. Uh, I've been doing primary care for 20 years, and I'm uh, I work for a, just a big multi specialty uh, group in Seattle, one of the bigger hospital based healthcare systems in Seattle. And uh, just doing straight up primary care, but my uh, my passion is really just uh, making diet and exercise as accessible to my patients as possible. You know what I mean? Just really lowering the bar to entry for people getting on board with diet and exercise and health. So I'm just super geeked out on the uh, nutrition side, you know, and the exercise and that kind of thing. So this PE ratio diet that you wrote with William Schufelt has this pretty exciting and incredibly simple concept that seems to be uh, the solution to the most frustrating challenge, I think, in the, in the whole scene here, which is people uh, trying to drop excess body fat and doing it through assorted means that have proven to be um, you know, widespread dismal failure. And now we can kind of uh, proceed with a simple approach where the diet is no struggle to adhere to. So I'd love to just hit everybody with that that basic concept out of the gate 
and then they can get drawn in and realize, wow, maybe maybe I could um, maybe maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this whole thing is based on uh, protein leverage, which is this um, <clears throat> uh, this thing that researchers, uh, Drs. Robinheimer and Simpson from Australia, these two professors, they're entomologists who've been studying nutrition in all sorts of animal species for decades, and they they realize that most animals on Earth have this sort of protein target, and they're basically going to eat and eat and eat it until they get enough protein, and only then will they stop eating. And this works in insects, and it works in rats and mice, and it works in dogs and cats. It basically works in pretty much every animal you could name, um, including humans. Of course, we're just animals. We're just basically monkeys who talk, more or less. So... Um, there's this whole protein leverage phenomenon that most people are blissfully unaware of. Basically, humans have an incredibly powerful protein satiety drive, and you will eat and eat and eat until you get enough protein, and only then will you stop eating. And you you look at how many calories somebody eats, and people who are overweight and eating way more calories than people who are uh, really fit and active, successful, and eating way less calories, and just walking around thinner. They're basically eating the same amount of protein, and the mm. only question is how much non-protein energy, carbs and fats, did you have to eat to get to that protein? So the biggest driver of the whole obesity epidemic is protein dilution. We figured out how to refine all these carbs, refine all these fats. We dumped them into the food supply. And now your food is so protein dilute that you basically have to overeat carbs and fats to get enough protein to just be alive. So like, you know, over the past 60 years of the obesity epidemic, protein dropped from, you know, maybe 14, 15% in America to down to 12 and a half percent. So in order to get the same absolute amount of protein, we all have to eat way more carbs and fats. And, and we've got this obesity epidemic. Um, it's, uh, it's a huge driver of caloric intake that everybody's blissfully unaware of. Like people just don't even understand how this works. It's really powerful. So I'm familiar with the idea that if you are on this, some type of crazy low protein diet, you're going to feel like absolute shit. You're going to become emaciated. You're going to have strong cravings for protein. Uh, but we're also familiar with uh, cravings for rich, high fat foods or for the simple carbs. And so uh, to tell us how all these cravings fall into place. It sounds like our number one craving is for protein because we're going to die without it. And then I don't know where the other ones fall into the, the picture here. Right. Okay. So the, whole, the obesity epidemic really has basically two parts to it. The first part is protein dilution, right? Um, you know, you need probably 200 grams of protein a day to not be hungry. But if you're eating French fries, which are potatoes and oil, it's 6% protein. You have to massively overeat fat and carbs from French fries to get enough protein to not be hungry. So you've got basic protein dilution because you're just surrounded with no low protein foods. That's half of the obesity epidemic. The other half of the obesity epidemic is the hedonic, delicious, tasty, addictive nature of high energy density carbs and fats together. So if you take a high energy density carb and mix it with a high energy density fat, that's your donuts and your pizza and your candy bars and your cakes and your cookies and your pies and your muffins, your crackers and your bagels with cream cheese and your, uh, you know, all of these foods don't exist in nature. There's nothing in nature that's high energy density carbs and fats together. 
except for breast milk and mm. uh, um, nuts like acorns, which is basically the plant equivalent of breast milk, more or less, if you think about it. So uh, except for these foods for babies, breast milk and nuts, um, you don't find high energy density carbs and fats together in nature. And when we make these foods, it's incredibly addictive. It spikes dopamine really high in your brain and you just crave it. You just want more of it. So you've got the obesity epidemic being pushed along by protein dilution, not a protein because of high energy DNC, carbs and fats, sugar, flour, oil that we dumped in food supply. And then you've got the obesity epidemic being pulled along also by the hedonic nature of these high energy density carbs and fats together. So like you you know, you eat a giant steak, you got enough protein, but ooh, out comes some ice cream and you want to eat that. You're going to eat that even mm. if you're already full. So you've got this push and pull. And in both cases, it's high energy density or refined carbs and fats together that's driving the whole show. And that's what we're dealing with. I've had enough steak, but yes, I would like an additional mm -hmm. scoop of ice cream. Thank you very much. Exactly. I have room in my stomach for that. Always room yep. for that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, where does activity fit into the picture? I know this is sort of an aside, but I'm I'm fascinated with um, Dr. Ponser's new book and him zeroing in on the uh, the obesity epidemic being entirely related to how many calories we consume, and then mm -hmm. this uh, this idea that we can burn them off has been strongly refuted by by emerging science. Well, I mean, I think that Ponser is. I love his book and I love his work, but um, he's doing exercise a little bit of a disservice because the reality is um, you have a choice. You can either do a crap ton of activity and get 20,000 steps in a day and exercise a lot um, and burn X number of calories, or you can barely move at all, but way, way more. And so all your actions cost more energy and you basically just exist as a larger person, fatter and more higher mass, takes uh, more calories just to be alive and just to do the things that you do. And so you can either choose to exercise less and weigh a lot more or weigh, weigh less and exercise a lot more. And you're going to burn the same amount of energy either way. So it's kind of a lot of, you know, we're kind of spinning Ponser's work to say, uh, well, exercise doesn't matter because your energy um, expenditure is constrained either way. But you do actually have a choice being way thinner and exercising a lot more and expending the same amount of energy as if you're way fatter and exercise way less, same amount of energy. So I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather weigh less and move more, um, you know, than just like be 500 pounds and like take hundred steps a day or something like that and burn the same amount of energy. So I'm pushing back a little bit on Ponser's, uh, uh, theory, which basically makes it look like exercise doesn't matter because you're constrained. And it's really not quite true. It, also, uh, the, the constraints on energy only uh, occur when you get up to a pretty high level of exercise. And beyond that, more is not better. So I think exercise is crucial just for health in general. And it really does help people be thinner. Yeah, I'd also, uh, I believe there's support for the idea that it helps you kind of back away from this addiction and overconsumption of the hyperpalatable foods because you're able to burn body fat, you're alert, you're energized, you're not having to constantly look in your drawer for another snack at the two hour mark at your desk because you suck at burning fat, because you don't exercise, don't move enough, don't sleep enough. 
Absolutely right. Like cardio just literally makes you better at oxidizing fat and it makes you more in touch with hunger and fullness and people maintain weight loss better when they're doing exercise. And so there's a million reasons to exercise, even though we have this constrained energy model of sponsors. Okay, we're going to talk about your uh, unique approach and philosophy to exercise. Again, super simple. He's a simple guy here, people making it all simple for us. But before we, uh, we got to spend a little more time on this this protein to energy ratio and kind of the escape hatch to uh, solve the the battle of uh, trying to restrict calories in the name of weight loss. So it sounds like that um, we need to prioritize protein in the diet for our, our health and nutritional benefit. Uh, but we've also heard recently uh, some warnings about consuming too much protein, could be unhealthy, could stimulate growth factors. So maybe you can sort us out there about what's the optimal level of protein intake? What should we, we be concerned about or not concerned about? So we've basically proven with randomized controlled studies, even in humans, that protein leverage is real. We've proven that you will overeat calories if you're eating low protein percentage foods. So this is an actually known, proven fact. We've, we've documented this in all sorts of animal species, including humans themselves. Um, then there's this theory that high protein percentage diets um, in humans could somehow activate an aging pathway that um, makes you live less long. Uh, what we haven't proven at all is that this phenomenon occurs in humans. Like we have not proven that eating more protein or higher protein percentage affects longevity in humans. Uh, it, what we do know about humans is that literally the higher your fat mass, the higher your risk for everything bad, including all cause mortality. So you can look at cancer, cardiovascular events, um, all cause mortality. Um, with fat mass. And it's basically a straight line up and to the right. And so literally anything that allows you to eat fewer calories and be uh, have lower fat mass is typically protective and beneficial and higher protein percentage do that uh, diets accomplishes that really, really well. So I am going to push back against the concept that um, high protein diets are going to kill you or shorten your lifespan, since we really know it's more about fat mass and calories and insulin resistance, all of which are basically from over-consuming calories, which we see more with protein dilute diets. So uh, the interesting thing about choosing higher protein percentage foods is you're probably going to eat about the same absolute amount of protein. You just uh, eat way less uh, carbs and fats coming along for the ride because you chose a higher protein percentage food to begin with. So the amount of absolute protein people are eating is not necessarily that much higher. They're just done eating at a lower <laughs> caloric intake when they're choosing higher protein percentage foods. Uh, I guess part of that could be the incredible satiety effect of protein. So you mentioned the steak and I don't know about you, but you know, once you have two steaks, I'm capable of eating two at times, uh, but I don't think three or, you know, I have an omelet with four or five eggs or six, but not, you know, 12, uh, unlike the story with the cheesecake or the popcorn. Um, one of my uh, episodes is titled The Fatty Popcorn Boy Saga because I ate so much popcorn. I, you know, it, it reintroduced into my diet and I loved it so much. I started making it every night. All of a sudden I found I'd added some body fat. So it's super easy to do with those slippery slope foods, but apparently not so much with the incredibly rich and satiating high protein foods. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. You eat enough steak and eggs and you're pretty much not hungry for the rest of your life. I mean, the satiety is no joke. So there's uh, little or no concern with someone uh, heading in this direction and oops, getting too much protein every single day to the extent that they're they're going to have health concerns. Is that what you're saying? It's almost impossible to eat too much protein. Uh, in 20 years of medical practice, I've never looked at a patient and said, wow, you're eating too much protein. Like that's, that's really not even a thing. Um, I'm sure there's some, there are some rare genetic defects where you have uh, difficulty with um, ammonia um, excretion, but like this is just freakishly rare and your average person can't eat too much protein and you just, your body won't allow it. I mean, sit down with a couple pounds of uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts and just try to overeat, try to eat too much protein. You really can't do it. Uh, So we've heard these recommendations bantered about uh, to get 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass. Some people are saying one pound per gram of lean mass or one pound per gram of total body mass. And they're, they're floating all over. Uh, where do you stand if you, if you even do uh, make a recommendation uh, against body mass? Well, okay. So most of your actual protein experts look at the RDA as just an absolute bare survival <laughs> below which everyone's going to have frank deficiencies and like your mm. teeth fall out of your head and crap like that. So you, you really want to at least literally double the RDA and make that a bare minimum for most people, especially older persons who have anabolic resistance and actually need far more protein um, just to not have osteopenia and sarcopenia and all of these other conditions. So you want to at least double the RDA. And then you have a lot of studies saying, well, you know, if you go over one gram per pound, you're not going to build any additional muscle. You don't really need that protein. But it, it's it's not necessarily about the bare minimum you need. It's more about satiety per calorie. I mean, the the real secret to success here is satiety per calorie. If I give you a food that gives you a whole day's worth of satiety, it's got protein, it's got minerals, it's got fiber, it's got all the micronutrients you need, and it just has one calorie, right? <laughs> Like like infinite satiety per calorie, you're going to achieve all your fat loss goals. You're going to have a super low body fat, fasting insulin, fasting triglycerides, lipid ratios, inflammatory markers. Everything's going to be brilliant, right? And that's because you had high satiety per calorie. If I'm eating a food with horrifically low satiety per calorie, maybe I just have a 20,000 calorie shake that's a toxic slurry of corn oil and sugar or something. I don't know, high fructose corn syrup and corn oil together or something with a straw. Then I'm going to get you know, almost no satiety for an infinite amount of calories. I'm gonna have the exact opposite thing. I'm just gonna be constantly hungry, constantly eating. I'm gonna gain a billion pounds. Every number you can measure is gonna be horrible. It really comes down to satiety per calorie. And so it doesn't really matter what's the bare minimum amount of protein you need, what's the maximum you could possibly turn into muscle. It's more about what level of protein percentage is going to allow you to have the highest satiety per calorie and uh, lose the most body fat since 91% of humans on earth are over fat. That should be our number one concern, right? So it's all about satiety per calorie for me. And for some people pushing protein even higher 
then a gram per pound is the way to go. If you look at most of your fitness competitors who, whose job is basically getting as lean as possible, they're usually eating, you know, 1.3, 1.5 grams per pound of lean body mass or mm-hmm. ideal uh, body weight or stage body weight. So you can push protein even higher, all, even though you're not really using that protein to build muscle for anabolism or hypertrophy, you're still getting a little bit higher satiety per calorie out of it. I mean, same thing with fiber. You don't need fiber. Nobody needs fiber, you know, but you're going to definitely get satiety per calorie, really high satiety per calorie from it. So it's a mistake not to push it a little bit higher, um, which is why all of your bodybuilders Mm. and bikini models out there are eating these insanely high fiber foods because they get a crap ton of satiety per calorie, even though you don't need fiber, there's no RDA for fiber. You know, you're not, you're not going to really use that fiber to build muscle or whatever, but it's still a lever you can pull that's giving you success. Yeah. I like how you've mentioned the word satiety uh, 17.5 times already. And it's so funny because, you know, we get into our heads so much with this analytical approach to diet and we have these strategies and we're following guidelines, but um, everything gets washed away in a giant tidal wave of honoring our hunger and satiety signal. So it, it feels like that's where a lot of the battle is with people where they're trying really hard to adhere to whatever plan they've been given um, but they're, you know, if if they're not sated, it's going to be it's going to be big trouble to hang in there. I'm curious, um, why is a nutrient dense, high protein food more satiating than the corn oil and high fructose corn syrup uh, smoothie? Being that, let's say they're each 400 calories, where you're making this smoothie at home. I'm just making my my uh, pastured egg yolks and and raw frozen liver and protein powder and other stuff in there, or I can go down to Jamba Juice and get a 400 calorie sugar bomb. So what's going on that I feel uh, better and and more satiated with the with the high protein foods? Oh right, okay. So a bunch of things are are going on. First of all, uh, humans have specific appetites for. Uh, five things that we know of protein, fat, carbohydrate, and minerals, specifically sodium and calcium. So you're, you're actually, your brain is actually looking for these amino acids um, in your blood. You're actually looking for all these things showing up and you're not going to have satiety until you get them. There are also all these incretins that are secreted by your small intestine. You know, after you eat a protein, you get um, all of these uh, GLP-1 uh, incretins that basically signal to your brain. So you're so you're looking for all of this stuff from your GI tract and showing up in your blood that basically indicates that hey, I ate a bunch of stuff. I, I'm not that hungry. I'm doing okay. And uh, you're going to eat until you get that. And so there's a lot of uh, factors there and things that help in volume to food. So you want a ton of weight and volume to, uh, for the stretch receptors in the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, that's why you want to eat the foods with the lowest energy density, and energy density is a huge, big deal. Um, protein is crucial. You absolutely have to have some fat for sure. So it's protein, it's fat, it's weight and volume. It's, um, uh, you know, all of these micronutrients, especially minerals, especially the macro minerals, the minerals you need in big quantities, which is sodium and calcium. And so your, your body's looking for all this stuff and your Jamba juice doesn't have none of that in there. 
I guess the glucose spike and insulin response and then the corresponding hunger signals is also part of the deal here if I'm if I'm living on Jamba Juice? Well, actually, and to be fair to carbs, carbs give you the very highest acute satiety, hyperacute satiety. You get a huge spike of satiety about within about an hour of eating carbs. And then it goes like sharply negative three or four hours later. If you look at the ghrelin curve for carbs, uh, carbs are the most satiating macro in the first hour. And then it just goes sharply negative. Uh, you hit three or four hours later. And if you had a really high glycemic load and you literally get this glucose fall where your glucose dips lower than it was before and you get this like hunger phenomenon that will happen downstream from carbohydrate unless you had some protein or fat with it to kind of flatten things out um but your body's looking for all of these things and this when it comes to carbohydrate timing is probably a factor and and we talk about that a lot in the book but there's this time factor to carbohydrates as well uh what kind of time factor you mean time of day no i mean more like uh super high acute satiety but downstream, you might even be hungrier than if you didn't eat carbs at all. And you can kind of feel this if for <laughs> breakfast, you just have like dry toast and juice and wait three hours and see how you feel. You know what I mean? You get all, you're just starving. You have to eat something else. Um, so you might almost be hungrier than if you just fasted the whole time. Interesting. I've never heard that mm-hmm. about the the first hour carbs being the the all star, the mo- the most satiating, and then then you drop off the cliff. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. wild. And that's why your average American is eating carbs basically, you know, every two hours for a sixteen mm. hour eating window. Eight times a day, you're just eating carb, 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 carb three hundred grams uh, eight times a day every two hours for a sixteen hour window. That's what most people are doing because they're chasing this up and down. And you kind of want to get off that roller coaster a little bit and do a little bit more windowing with carbs or uh, timing carbs, you know, post-exercise or mm. uh, something like that. Uh, you also want carbs very last in your meal. You know, they did a bunch of studies in Japan looking at meat, vegetables, and rice and the order in which you eat them. And if you're uh, if you're eating the rice last, you actually are better off from an incretin point of view and a glycemic point of view. And that's why dessert is always last. You know, your, mm. your grandmother was right. You eat the dessert last. You, you actually want to do that. There are reasons, physiologic reasons to do that. So what about the role of uh, fats and carbs in the diet? If we're emphasizing protein, we're going for that uh, protein to energy ratio, the, the title of your book. I hope the listeners are super clear on on what that means. And then of course, we're not going to live on protein or we'll get the the rabbit starvation effect. You can aside that if you, if you like, but then um, how do we now integrate a winning diet and maybe, since I'm asking you a seven-part question here, maybe uh, answer according to, let's say, someone who's trying to drop body fat versus someone who's athletic, has good blood markers, and wants to perform and recover. Whew, there right, goes right, Ted, right. people. Here he goes. <laughs> seven-part answer. Got it. So uh, step one is just fixing protein, right? Like, So protein is the most important. You want to target protein. You have this protein goal you have to achieve. You want to eat the protein first. So uh, you'll end up uh, getting your protein satiety at a lower caloric intake. So it's all about the protein. Every meal should be centered on protein. Every snack should be centered on protein, 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 protein. Uh, 
In, in reality, it mostly just comes down to protein and then calories. So if you, you know, if you ate a 40% protein diet and then you had 30, 30 carbs and fats versus 40, 10 carbs and fats versus 20, 20 or 20, 40. I mean, uh, it wouldn't really be super crucial which carb fat mixture you had within reason, but there are caveats to that. Um, people doing tons of high intensity exercise, right? So you need maybe hundred grams of carbs a day that you're liver has to manufacture out of protein if you're eating no carbs at all. Um, so maybe hundred grams of carbs is a pretty good, um, reasonable, um, target for people who are doing no cardio at all and no high intensity exercise. But when you do really, really high intensity exercise, you're burning almost pure glucose. And so if you're doing an hour of cardio, you probably want to throw another 50 grams in there. You probably want an extra 50 grams or so for every hour of really high intensity exercise that you're doing. So someone who's super active has, you know, earned these carbs and should probably be eating more, especially windowed around exercise, you know, right before, maybe during, right, maybe right after. So high intensity exercise and more carbs kind of go together hand in hand. Carbohydrate is ergogenic and it helps people perform uh, some of these high intensity um, endeavors. So you kind of want to pair your extra carbohydrate intake with these sorts of um, high intensity exercise about. And then I, I'm, I'm also not a huge fan of just zero carbohydrate diets mm. because humans really, really do have an appetite for carbohydrate. And if you're eating absolutely none, you'll have this weird carb hunger that you just, you'll have to eat way more calories from fat mm to kind of achieve the same satiety. So like, for example, let's say you and I both ate steak and eggs and we got a ton of protein, right? But now I'm gonna, you're on a zero carb diet where you just literally eat no carbs at all. And uh, you're still kind of hungry. You're gonna eat, you know, three pounds of macadamia nuts trying to satiate this carb hunger. Whereas I'm gonna eat like two apples and it's gonna be, 45 grams of net carbs, who cares, right? And I'm going to have way higher satiety per calorie at that point because I have this slight carbohydrate hunger and I've already hit my protein and mineral and fat requirements. So if you use carbs strategically like this, you know, like a like small amounts of carbohydrate to acknowledge this carbohydrate hunger that you have daily, um, you're going to achieve a higher satiety per calorie. You know what I mean? I'm not mm -hmm. saying... Just want to eat all the carbs you want. Fat, the same way, you, you need a certain amount of fat to have satiety and you have absolute uh, requirement for essential fatty acids. But after you go ab above a certain point, all of that fat is just passively stored in your fat cells and it takes so long to get there that it's not really adding a ton of satiety. You know what I mean? But I just pour a refined fat with butter or oil, heavy, heavy cream over I'm not going to get slowly passively be stored in my fat cells. I'm just passively over consuming fat calories. You know what I mean? So you have this U shaped curve for the center of the U. And it's going to be like, you know, 100 grams of carbs plus 50 grams for every hour of high intensity exercise for your average person. 
And then on fat, you know, it's going to be maybe anywhere from 30 to 100 grams of fat based on how much activity you're doing. Um, But you got to find the sweet spot and it's not zero for either one for sure. Oh, that's nice. You put it to the individual and personal preference. And I think there's some psychological factors at play here too, where you want to have maximum enjoyment of your diet and minimal stress on adhering to something strict. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you're maybe sitting back and smirking a little bit here and there when you see all these fads and trends play out that, uh, you know, have, have a, um, a certain benefit, but they, they might, you know, benefit from uh, taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you're just your diehard butter chugging keto people who are like, oh, I'm eating, you know, 20 grams of carbs a day because I have a salad and one tomato. Uh, I'm going to get rid of the tomato. I'm going to get rid of the salad. I'm just going to eat cubes of lard. Um, like, because I'm going to shave my carbs from 20 down to zero. And, and as you get farther and farther away from the center of the U, uh, your, the return on your investment is just horrifically bad and maybe, maybe even negative. So as you shave those carbs lower, 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 you're actually going to start going backwards. And the, we talk about that in the book. It's a, a unifocal over-reliance where my only lever to pull is low carb. So I'm going to pull the low carb lever so hard it just snaps off at the base. And now I just literally eat zero grams of carbs and I'm trying to get more satiety by just eating nuts and dairy and butter and more fat. You know, it's just not going to work. And people start literally going backwards at that point. And that's, and that's why it's all about this U-shaped curve and being like a little low carb, but maybe a little low fat as well. And you just pull every lever moderately, like, you know, high protein, low carb, low fat, Mm. cardio, resistance. You're trying to um, hit all of these moderately and be in the center of the U for every single one of them. Hmm. What does your uh, dietary pattern look like and perhaps paired with exercise, as you mentioned a couple of times? Right, right. So I basically eat a fairly high protein diet. It's 30 to 40% by calories. Um, I'm and getting you said, about, Ted, um, we're talking like 13% or something that the, the standard American diet is now down at with protein. Yeah. About 12 and a half, maybe. Oh, mercy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're up at 40. That's triple. Right. <laughs> we exactly. want to triple our normal, typical, uh, meal preparations and, and cultural mainstays. Well, and that's like percentage of protein and the absolute amount of protein is maybe not that much higher. Like the average, you know, maybe Mm. average American is eating 91 grams of protein. I'm eating, you know, 160 grams of protein. And so uh, the absolute increase is not as big as the percentage increase. Um, But you're just not overeating. Right. I'm just not as hungry because I ate so much protein up front. So, yeah, I, you know anywhere from 160 to 200 grams of protein a day. Um, Fat grams is usually more like 70 grams of fat. And carbs are about 100, uh, more if I'm doing way more uh, cardio. Uh, But those are some pretty typical macros for me. Uh, Most of my proteins are uh, lean beef. I just buy the, the leanest stuff I can reasonably come across. Uh, My strategy is to mostly purchase just the leanest proteins I can get because it's so trivially easy to add carbs and add fat. Mm. You know what I mean? Any kind of side dish, 
is going to add carbs. Any kind of cooking style is going to add oil or fat or butter or something. It's like you put cheese on something, you cook it in oil, you cook it in butter, you make a sauce, you're just adding carbs and fats. And by mm. the time you're done, <laughs> if you didn't start out with a super lean protein, uh, you end up with something that's fairly protein diluted to begin with. Uh, plus, uh, since the dawn of agriculture, we've been intentionally fattening up animals, breeding fatter animals, overfeeding these animals. We, uh, For economic reasons, we want the fattest of all the animals we can get. And so the protein percent is way lower. So, you know, you've got your you know, your wild salmon that's 70% protein and then your farmed Atlantic salmon that's, you know, 35 or 40% oh. protein. And so there's a huge difference between your grass-fed, grass-finished bison that's, you know, 93% protein and then your just conventional ground beef that's maybe even your 70-30 that's, you know, way lower because it added fat to it to make it cheaper or, you know, to make more money. So because of agricultural practices and economics, we already dilute the protein in every protein you're buying. So you really kind of want to get something leaner because you're just going to add uh, carbon fat calories to it as you cook it, as you prepare it, as you add things to it. Um, so my diet is basically like the leanest ground beef I can reasonably get in the store. Um, you know, poultry, fish, seafood, shellfish, anything um, that's basically properly raised, reasonably lean animal product. Uh, and then lots of, you know, fruits and vegetables. It's basically, I eat a ton of low sugar fruit, berries, cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers, avocados, uh, lots of, you know, salad type vegetables. And, uh, and then if I need more carbs, you know, I just eat apples or citrus or potatoes or berries or something like that. Um, but it's basically all centered around some sort of high quality animal protein. That's kind of the, the base to all my meals, all my snacks. Mm. And do you, do you feel a usefulness for protein supplementation if uh, as a backup? I mean, you're emphasizing the animal protein, the, the real deal, but is there a role in that for certain people? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so like, you know, humans are... Uh, we're cuisinivores, which uh, means we evolved to eat processed and cooked food. Like our whole evolution, we've been just processing our food and cooking it and trying to extract the most nutrients out of it. You know, we uh, we invented stone tools to crack open skulls and uh, long bones to get <laughs> marrow and brains. We, we cook everything because you can get more... Um, micronutrients and protein uh, out of it. We take all of our plant foods and we um, ferment it or chop it or boil it or sprout it or whatever we can do to up the nutrient density, up the calorie yield, uh, make it more nutritious. Um, so our whole evolution, we've basically evolved to eat these cooked and processed foods. And so I don't have a problem uh, using technology to feed myself. Humans have always used technology to feed ourselves. That's our superpower, right? We don't have claws and fangs and teeth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've always used technology to hunt. And we've always used technology to create food. We've always used, to use technology to prepare food. And so I do actually use, you know, I'll use egg whites. I'll use whey protein. I'll use uh, low-fat Greek yogurt. I'll, I'll buy ultra-filtered milk, anything I can do to make the protein percent higher, the nutrient density higher, I'm not afraid to do that, if you know what I mean. 
<laughs> and people, uh, you can see the results if you follow Dr. Ted on Instagram. This guy is is walking his talk. Your body fat's down there in the single digits, I'm sure, and your your athletic uh, athletic commitment is is really high. And I guess we should transition over to that because I'm so fascinated by uh, the, the comments that you've offered on on other shows and and covering the book, where um, this this idea of going out there and doing a lot of moderate exercise is not going to get the results like when you push yourself to the maximum, even briefly. So let's let's get into the uh, the Dr. Ted exercise strategy here. Right, right, right. So I, I've kind of, I got to admit, my, my approach is to solve the equation for like minimum time investment and minimum money investment. And my whole my whole theory is, okay, what's the minimum effective dose? What's the least amount of time and money I can spend and still get really good results? You know, and it's all about the sort of um, 80-20 principle where, you know, like, you know, 20% of the work and effort gets you 80% of the results you want. So I'm all about uh, minimalism and just using the very smallest doses of uh, exercise to get the very biggest results. And for me, it's all about intensity. So if you maximize intensity, even really, really brief, you're basically sending this message to your body that it's not good enough the way it is. And your body freaks out and actually responds to that. So like, you know, if I'm just, let's say I decide, okay, I'm going to do 10 push-ups every hour all day long. I do 10 push-ups. I do 10 push-ups. I do 10 push-ups. You know, I've done a hundred push-ups. I've gotten actually nothing out of that. Right. Like I never really pushed myself. It was never really that hard my body's not going to change at all. I just get really efficient at push-ups and my 10 push-ups, I can burn one calorie and do 10 push-ups. Now, if I just do one set of just extremely difficult push-ups, I mean, I do like super perfect form. I make it as hard as possible. I just absolutely push myself to the maximum. I I decide I'm going to do one more push-up even though I feel like I'm going to die. And then I still do one more push up mm-hmm. and then I push like halfway up and hold it. And I hold that for as long as I can. And then I do the slowest negative I can. And like the whole time I'm just like fighting for perfect form, maximum tension in my muscles for the maximum amount of time. I literally make this the hardest set of push ups I've ever done in my life. And then I collapse on the ground. Well, that only took 40 seconds, but it sends this big message to, to my body which is like, you almost die. Like you're, you're not strong enough. You're going to die next time. You almost got crushed by a boulder. We don't know what happened, but we know (laughs) you almost died and you're like a wordless sack of crap. And so you literally over the next two days, uh, build more muscle, get more mitochondria in those muscles. You actually make all these adaptations because your body got this major signal that holy crap, right? We almost died. So I, I try to use this approach with resistance exercise, you know, all the major movements, push, pull legs. I try to use this approach with cardio, you know, like um, uh, brief maximum intensity sprints and things like that. And you can actually get the very highest results for the very least amount of time when you're really pushing the intensity. And so that's the whole approach in the book. Now, how frequently would you do something like that? I mean, you mentioned the push-up set only took 40 seconds, but my experience, this stuff can be pretty tough to recover from, even a very short workout. Right, right, right. So 
in the book, we recommended trying to do at least a single set daily push, pull legs, cardio, um, at least one little thing daily. And that you could basically do a whole body workout in you know, five, five, 10 minutes. Um, it's very recoverable because the volume so low, but we're also like, okay, if it's not convenient for you to work out on, on a day or you don't feel good or you haven't recovered, just skip it and work out the next day. And one of the beauties of aiming for daily is that if you just miss a day here or there, it's no problem at all. And so I really like daily or every other day. Um, I find that for newer people, uh, you might be more like every other day because it, it takes you longer to recover. And then people who have been working out a long time have no problem with single set daily. It's very recoverable. So it's more about like total weekly volume. You're doing such a little uh, you're doing such a small amount that it's okay to do a higher frequency um, because the overall volume is really not that high. So you're calling it single set daily where you're choosing a particular workout and that's your, that's your workout for the day. Well, no. So like, I'm actually doing a full body single set oh, workout, a daily. single so set I'm, of numerous workouts, I, numerous I'll do exercises, a, a pushing move all the way to failure every day, like pushups. I'll do a pulling move to failure daily, like pull-ups. I'll do a leg move, like a squat daily. And then some sort of cardio like, uh, sprints, um, jump squats, uh, rowing machine, just running up a hill, something like that. So it's basically a brief, uh, two failure about of each one of these basic movements every day. And you can, we have like a nano workout in the book. That's maybe seven minutes. It's just like push-ups, pull-ups, squats, and squat jumps or something. And you're pretty much in and out in, you know, just, uh, under 10 minutes. <laughs> so you're busting out of your door and sprinting up a hill and that that's the end of it you walk back and and go into your push-ups and and then on with your busy day Incredible. pretty much yeah mm-hmm. yeah we might even i might even split these up so like uh i'll do a set of push-ups right now because i have the time for it and then hours later i'll i'll be you know in the playground and i'll have something to pull on and i'll do a set of pull-ups and mm. then like I'll do the cardio part later when I'm walking the dog or something. So I like, I do, you know, three, four little micro nano workouts interstitially spread out during the day. It doesn't have to all, all be at once. Yeah. I guess you'd perform better with, you know, uh, the, the, the separate time, but I, I suppose you could also uh, do things back to back to back and it takes seven minutes instead of three minutes. Um, and it, it's still in that same category of brief, explosive, genetic and hormonal signaling and the, the avoidance of the breakdown, burnout, fatigue, depletion that I feel like is the biggest the, the biggest flaw in the fitness industry is pushing people too hard with workouts that are too long in duration and they don't get that maximum explosive uh, effort because they're too tired. It's really, really, really all about the stimulus to fatigue ratio, right? If I just do like one super hard set of pull-ups, that's it. I just do the hardest set of pull-ups I've ever done in my life. Um, (laughs) It might take 60 seconds, right? but I got this massive stimulus from it, massive pulling muscle stimulus because I went so hard. Uh, But but like the fatigue is almost nothing because it's like one minute. Like anybody can recover from a one minute of exercise. So my stimulus to fatigue ratio was 
infinitely higher than someone who's just doing an hour of CrossFit where the main goal is to just get tired, right? Like that's the lowest stimulus to fatigue ratio. That's like fatigue to stimulus ratio, right? Like that'll maximize your fatigue, but you never really maybe got the super laser focused stimulus that you were looking for. Um, so like, I, I'm basically, this is like anti CrossFit not that I, not, yeah. nothing against CrossFit. I love CrossFit. Um, I, you know, I've done some CrossFit. It's totally cool. But, uh, the goal here is to get the very highest stimulus at the very lowest fatigue. Right. It, it's kind of, uh, I'm, I'm reflecting on my, uh, Murph workout that I completed, uh, to celebrate my friend Dave Coburn's 60th birthday. And we all did it, all his brothers. And it was an absolute torture fest for 46 minutes. Cause we did repeating sets of chin-ups, push-ups, squats. Uh, but it, you know, I'm still recovering four days later. So it's kind of the opposite of, you know, heading over there and doing a single set of pull-ups and getting that, that stimulus. And I noticed like trying to get better at pull-ups that, um, if I do just a, a single torturous set and then don't hit the bar for a while after several days, um, that's when I notice the biggest fitness breakthroughs. And it's kind of an interesting isolated examination of, uh, you know, what's my, what's my pull up, uh, personal best and how do I improve it? It's from, you know, the staccato type of approach rather than doing like your first example of doing 10 pushups every hour. Uh, I, I would like to offer to the listeners that that's certainly a shit ton better than being sedentary. So there's so yes. much to be said for uh, jogging around your park at a slow pace or walking or whatever, or doing 10 pushups every hour. But I think um, we're trying to zero in on, you know, getting that, that, that six pack body, making athletic performance goals, uh, you know, contributing to uh, maximum longevity and protection against disease and decline. And I think that's where you're onto something magical here is that most people probably don't even ever come close to experiencing that, you know, that, that maximum effort to failure feeling that complete exhaustion, temporary exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you just said. Yeah. Like general movements. Awesome. Please be walking all day long, hit your 10,000 steps. All these little low intensity movements are are just absolutely crucial. So you want as much of that as you can, but someone who's doing that is never getting this laser focused ultimate stimulus to their muscles. So they get the maximum strength and hypertrophy. Um, so you really want to be doing both. And then, you know, in fairness to CrossFit, that is really good for endurance. And so if you're specifically training endurance, if you're specifically looking for endurance, then that sort of CrossFit cardio metabolic training is great. And I don't have anything against any of that. Um, I'm just trying to solve the equation for the smallest time investment mm -hmm. for the biggest return on your investment. Well, I think we have to break it down to, you know, there's an enjoyment factor. And I talked to Stevie Cobrain, one of the guys that finished the workout. He loves to run long distances. He doesn't care whether it's, um, you know, improving his health or slightly compromising it at times. Uh, but, you know, to go out there and run, or if you have an, uh, a performance goal, like completing uh, a marathon, you better be out there training and putting in miles. I used to be a triathlete and we had to spend a lot of our day out there doing cardio, but that was specifically for a performance goal. And I think that's a different category or, or the enjoyment and the performance 
performance goals, a different category than how can I optimize my my, my fitness and my anti-aging. And clearly there's a lot of risks with this uh, endurance type, steady state type exercise, which is easily fatiguing and exhausting. And I, I love CrossFit too. I love the philosophy, but every workout that I've done, I feel like I would have been better served to just bail after 30 minutes, get a fake cell phone call or, you know, grab my phone and pretend I'm urgently answering a text and saying, hey guys, I got to go after, you know, doing the first set of movements. And then they're asking you to do something else that's supposed to be explosive, but the fatigue factor comes in and it kind of ruins the the workout in, in many ways. Right. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Uh, but I think it's more about endurance at a certain point and that you get some diminishing return on investment there. Well, also, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Doug McGuff's book, Body by Science, where he makes a compelling argument with a lot of uh, scientific reference that that 40-second push-up set that you did where you're holding the negative position delivers a phenomenal cardiovascular training effect, uh, probably superior to uh, futzing around for an hour in the park, jogging at a slow pace. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, is a recent awakening for me where, you know, getting up and walking is an awesome cardiovascular training session, as is doing a very short duration sprint. Um, and so you're not missing that uh, often isolated concept in fitness where I got to get my cardio in, I need to get a few hours of that and go lift weights and do this and do that to be a complete athlete. And it's just kind of refuted pretty strongly now. Right. Yeah. I think you can pretty much always trade intensity for duration. And so I really <laughs> just like, a straight you know, up trade people. Yeah. Just, yeah exactly. <laughs> I wish I could be home sooner. Okay. Speed the F up mm -hmm. and get home sooner. Exactly. Okay. So putting that all together, it sounds like you have a pretty good solution for, uh, the, the, the overarching goal of dropping excess body fat for most people. So maybe we could do a little summary recap. If I'm in your doctor's office now saying, Hey, I feel great. I just want to get rid of this final 10 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So step one is, you know, target protein. Like every meal is about the protein. Every snack is about the protein. You're trying to hit this protein target for yourself first. So you don't need to eat as many carbs and fats. You're also avoiding the high energy density refined carbs and fats together, which are these super addictive trigger foods, your donuts, your pizza, your candy bars. <laughs> um, so that's the diet approach, right? And then on the exercise so exercise side, it's just pushing way out of your comfort zone to hit the absolute maximum tension in all of your muscles and the absolute maximum strain on your cardiovascular system, even if it's super brief, because you're going to get the best adaptations that way and the highest return on your time investment. And it really just comes down to basically target the hell out of protein and then put maximum tension in all your muscles on a regular basis. And it's that simple. That's a whole equation. How does that go over with your patients? I know the the uh, the medical scene, you have limited interaction and, and the, the time visits, you know, all the, the talk about how, how little time doctors have with their patients. Maybe that's how you got things so simple where you could hit the patient with that and send them on their way. Uh, but do you have an opportunity to uh, influence those lifestyle choices with your with your medical clientele? Yeah, absolutely. Now, to be honest, like the my whole career, I've been trying to streamline and refine my diet and exercise message because I only have 15 minutes, and that's uh, part of the reason I wrote the book is just to make my life 
at work easier. So I just give a free copy to all my patients, anyone who's interested in it. I'm like, here, um, read this because uh, like, I only got 15 minutes. So the, the book was really just basically a way to make my day job easier. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, it is, a for anyone who really gets it and really, um, heads in that direction, even halfway, it's extremely successful. And uh, once you get these principles down, it really changes your whole life. You just can't look at food the same way ever again. You can't look at diet approaches the same way ever again. You can't look at exercise the same way ever again. For many of my patients, uh, it's been a, a dramatic revelation and you know it's very very common that we're having people you know get off medications literally cure their type 2 diabetes and just have these radical health transformations that in almost every circumstance is all about body recomposition higher lean mass and lower fat mass that's pretty much what everyone's looking for both Mm. from aesthetic point of view a performance point of view or a health metric point of view like all of your type of diabetes is really just about having not enough muscle and too much fat and mm. you recomp and get less fat and more muscle and you basically cure type two diabetes or any other metabolic syndrome type problem, which is pretty much all of your chronic degenerative diseases. So super powerful, uh, any way you look at it. Right. And, and preserving that lean muscle mass is the key to anti-aging, aging gracefully uh, avoiding the accidents and uh, the, the decline that comes when we when we when we get weak and fail to put our muscles under load, um, boy, our, our marching Absolutely. orders are clear, Doctor Ted. You, you killed it. You I love it, man. <laughs> uh, so tell us about uh, how to follow you, connect, order the book, all that fun stuff. Gotcha. All right. So I wrote this book, The PE Diet, with William Schufel. You can buy it at thepediet.com or pretty much anywhere where books are sold online. And if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Ted Naaman or Instagram at Ted Naaman. Um, <clears throat> yeah, my my practice is unfortunately closed to new patients. I'm way too busy, and it's, re- it's just for local people in Seattle. I don't do any kind of virtual consults or anything. But uh, check out the book. Uh, I um, Hopefully, people find that helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Dr. Ted Naiman, a great show. Thanks, listeners. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, 
be rad.